So you know that all our names originate from Napoleon. Eh? When he uh, conquered uh, the Netherlands, he forced us to uh, have uh, last names. Mm. And, uh, well, apparently my ancestors lived near a dike. So I got called Hans van Dijk, eh? near the dike. And he, uh, Ron, lives in, near the town of Megen. Okay. So he is called Ron van Megen, near Megen. Most Dutch names, and they originate from uh, 1805 when we were occupied by Napoleon. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Uh, for the longest time, I've wanted to have a conversation with uh, experts on the role of aerodynamic drag in running. As listeners to the show, you'll know that we've spoken about cycling aerodynamics at quite a bit of uh, length, uh, but we never covered it uh, for runners. And uh, after a fairly long search, I, uh, I landed on uh, these two gentlemen who are joining us today, who are Hans von Dijk and Ron van Meegen. <laughs> and now they're laughing at me because I, I tried as hard as I could not to butcher their Dutch names, but I, I clearly failed. So Hans, Ron, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today and uh, welcome to Endurance Innovation. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> so um, to kick things off, Hans, why don't you start off by giving us a little bit of a history of, uh, uh, you know, maybe your sporting history, your uh, your education, and how is it that you became uh, an expert in uh, running power and uh, running aerodynamics? All right. Uh, so uh, I'm actually a lifelong runner. Uh, I started uh, running in 1980. Uh when I was 26, so you can calculate that I'm now 68. Uh, so I'm a lifelong runner and I've run uh, enthusiastically and at quite a reasonable uh, level. Uh, I uh, ran the marathon in two and a half hours and 10K in 32 minutes or a little bit lower. Uh, so quite a reasonable level. And uh, I ran every day for 40 years. Uh, and I was quite, uh, I've always been quite uh, thrilled by the sport of running and uh, also uh, getting as fast as I could. I was quite, uh, what you might say, um, uh, ambitious. I tried mm-hmm. to get as good as I could by training, of course. and. But uh, next to uh, a lifelong runner, I'm also a lifelong scientist. I've been a professor at Delft University uh, in quite a different topic in drinking water engineering. But anyway, science is my other hobby. And uh, uh, 11 years ago, I uh, retired from Delft University. Okay. And uh, at that time, I said to myself, now I want to really try to Uh, get as good as I can in running by using science. So I started really uh, studying the literature again, developing models to uh, describe running. Uh, Well, we can talk about it later on, uh, I guess. 
And this led to uh, a lot of publications, a lot of books, and uh, also to quite a performance uh, improvement. Hmm. Uh, I was happy to see. And uh, of course, I'm older now, so I don't run the marathon in two and a half hours anymore. But three hours I can still manage at my uh, age. So I'm uh, at the master level, I'm uh, still fairly good. And uh, well, I've seen to my uh, joy that the models that I uh, developed uh, are really quite accurate in describing uh, running performance and how to improve running in, in performance. And I've done all these things together with Ron, both the running. We've been uh, running together for 40 years. Ron is also a colleague of mine. Uh, so we've, he's also an engineer from Delft University. So all these things we have done together. Great. Thank you for that. And Ron, what about you? Yeah, Hans already told quite a lot. Uh, 40 years ago, we became colleagues. I came at that moment from Delft University. And uh, I joined a company where Hans already worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a consulting engineering company. And that was in the water supply, drinking water supply. And uh, there it started. We had uh, during lunchtime the opportunity to run. And so uh, nearly every working day, we, we ran together with a group of uh, colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had about 65 colleagues who uh, liked to do the running. And uh, yeah, uh, the offices were in a nice forest, forest side. So we had a nice opportunity to, to do it together. Uh, our careers uh, developed, and we still uh, uh, yeah, did, did our hobby to run, but uh, we went slow and slow. And at a certain moment, and it was the moment that Hans uh, left uh, or retired from Delft uh, University of Technology, okay. uh, yeah, uh, we wanted to get faster. And that was uh, the moment that we developed our first book. Uh, you see it, uh, yeah, listeners cannot, cannot see it, but you can see in the back, Het Geheim van Hardlopen. In English, it is a secret of running. Okay, it is yeah. not the same book as uh, uh, yeah, most people know nowadays. It, it was the first book, and uh, yeah, it was immediately a success. Uh, uh, yeah, in, in a few months' time, the first print was sold out, and also the second print went very fast. So uh, at that moment, uh, we started with it. After that, uh, we were contacted by a sports... Uh, uh, physician. Uh, yeah, physician. Mm-hmm. And he asked us to do the same with uh, the secret on cycling. And with uh, cycling, we saw power. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you can do many, many things with, with, uh, with power with cycling. Well known, of course. And uh, the same things uh, can be done with, with running. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, it was not yet a running power meter. So we uh, did it all uh, from theory. Especially Hans did that. He uh, developed the models. And uh, we came into contact with uh, the company of uh, Stride. Yes. They have okay, a running yep. power meter. And they are not the only uh, company who supplies this. As you know, also Carmen has something like that. And Polar has something like that. Yes. But I can say Stride is still uh, the best. Uh, they are very accurate. And uh, they also used uh, quite a lot of our models. Hmm, interesting. And, uh, okay. Uh, uh, so, so the theory from from the from the background we, we gave them, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it was of money uh, that uh, we did, they didn't pay for it, but uh, we like to share our knowledge. 
And that's that's really you know one of the most satisfying things about uh, about sports technology, the sports technology world, is that everyone seems to be so so willing and so free with their with their knowledge share. But one thing I'd like to point out is uh, we one of our most recent guests was uh, JP Ballard from Swiss Side, and his story was was surprisingly similar. He was uh, he was uh, you know he's an engineer and he worked uh, he worked in a in a company where folks uh, he worked with like to go on bike rides during lunch, and out of that grew up this uh, yeah. his his new company and so your story is very similar in that sense that you you guys were went running together during lunch and that's how your partnership developed yeah that's true so folks as i mentioned we we got in touch with uh, ron and hans because we wanted to better understand running aerodynamics um and when i did get in touch with them they sent uh they sent me a presentation they did on the power involved in running. And uh, clearly we've done conversations like this uh, on the cycling side. So I wanted to really wanted to have an analogous one uh, for running. So what I'm going to ask uh, uh, Ron and Hans to do next is to take us through the uh, the power model of running. And in cycling, if you'll recall, of course, we identified buckets of where your power goes when you're, when you're riding uh, under various conditions. So let's start there. Uh, as a runner, what are the, what are the different different uh, forms of resistance or, uh, or drags that are on the, on the runner that you need to overcome? Yeah. Well, power, of course, is actually the amount of energy per unit of time. So how much energy do you use per unit of time? And obviously, if you want to run faster, you need more energy for the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that is what we call the running resistance. Eh? So how much energy do you need how much power do you need to run at a certain speed in a horizontal plane so this is the running resistance by comparison by analogy to the uh, rolling resistance in cycling where you have the same in cycling you have of course the wheel which is turning and which has a certain rolling resistance to the uh, surface and by analogy analogy you can say in running you have a running resistance just by running in a horizontal plane okay then you have to add to that obviously the uh, the drag the aer- uh, aerodynamical uh, resistance mm-hmm. the air resistance and uh, and you have to add to that uh, the uh, climbing resistance in case you have Uh, to climb a mountain or there are uh, undulations in the course. Uh, The climbing resistance can be both uh, positive and negative, of course. If you're going downhill, it's negative. If you're going uphill, it's positive. Uh, So it it just means that, uh, well, uh, the total power required for running is is described by these three forms, running resisting, air resistance, and climbing resistance. So for a certain uh, case, for a certain uh, track, for a certain uh, conditions, you can accurately calculate how much power you need to run at a certain speed, depending on the course and uh, the weather. Yeah, let's talk about the variables that are required for you to do that calculation. What do you need to know? Okay, so uh, the basic parameters that that are involved here is uh, your running efficiency. Mm-hmm. So the amount of power that you need uh, to run at a certain speed. And this is what we theoretically derived from uh, laboratory experiments. 
So the traditional laboratory experiments, they, there the amount of oxygen that you consume is measured. And as oxygen is used to create energy in your, in your body by uh, burning uh, fat and burning glycogen, you can, you can calculate how much oxygen translates to how much energy and thus to how much power. So if you know uh, these, uh, these data, and we have gathered many uh, literature data on it, you know how much... Uh, energy is required to run at a certain speed. Now, of course, this is a standardized value we use in our mm -hmm. models, and it is not the same for every person. One person may run a little bit more efficient, and another person may run a little bit less efficient. Mm -hmm. And th this is, of course, a very interesting factor that you will try to optimize by training, running the same speed with less energy consumption less oxygen consumption or less power as measured by a stride or another power meter. Mm. Interesting. So okay. Running efficiency is a very important uh, one. Uh, air resistance is another one, of course, and the air resistance obviously depends on the speed with which you're running and the temperature and the air density. So it is less at uh, uh, higher uh, elevations and it is uh, at sea level, it is a little bit higher and it depends on the air pressure, etc. So you can calculate this very accurately. Mm -hmm. And the drag coefficient of a runner, we have uh, calculated also so by uh, uh, using uh, literature studies. So we know from a number of studies quite accurately what is the drag coefficient for a runner. And, it, and how much it is uh, depending on whether you are running behind a pacer or in a group of runners, then your air resistance is less, of course. Sure. And whether you are tall, then the air resistance is a little bit higher, etc. So all these factors we know by now from uh, uh, numerous studies. Are you willing to share the coefficient of drag for runners? What is the what is the average or what is the range? Well, what we uh, uh, the standard value that we use is 0.24 square meters. Okay, that is the standard value for a runner uh, who is running alone. If you are running behind a pacer, it's a little bit less, 0 0.20, mm -hmm. and uh, the. The, the, we also made some calculations on the world record of, by Elliot Kip, Kipchoge, the mm -hmm. two-hour two marathon. And he had this very sophisticated system of a number of pacers in front of him. And also and that big pace car. <laughs> yeah, and they were able to reduce this air resist, the drag coefficient to 0.16. So it's quite significantly lower. I'm very surprised to hear that the number is that low because when we talk about, you know, time trialists on the bike in, a, in an optimized position with, uh, you know, where the torso is mostly horizontal, so it's not, you know, a runner is obviously vertical. And we're talking about 0.16 is an excellent time trialist. Now, I understand that Kipchoge was drafting, but even uh, 0.24 is for an amateur triathlete, let's say, it's a respectable, it's not a terrible coefficient of drag. It, it can be optimized for sure, but it's not terrible. And I'm I'm very surprised that an upright runner has a similar coefficient of drag. Yeah, we've had uh, many discussions on this topic. 
also with uh, experienced cyclists. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a number of things you can consider. Uh, in the first aspect, uh, in, in cycling, of course, you have the combined drag uh, coefficient of the cyclist and the, cy the bicycle itself. Sure. You are also sitting somewhat higher on a bike than compared to a runner. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are a number of things that you can, uh, uh, discuss trying to explain uh, these, uh, numbers, but it boils down to the fact that our numbers are based on, um, field experiments mm -hmm. where this drag, uh, coefficient was really measured. The, De uh, depending on the energy use of the runners concerned. Mm -hmm. So the increased energy use of the runners due to the air resistance can only be explained by a drag coefficient, which is 0.24 square meters. Mm. So okay. it seems on at first sight, it seems low, mm -hmm. but it is the only uh, respectable coefficient that can explain uh, the experiments that have been done and they are quite respectable experiments in literature, scientific uh, based, etc. So there's no reason to doubt these. Okay. Uh, uh, and the more uh, we verify that in practice. Uh, so mm -hmm. there were uh, quite a lot, uh, lot of races which we recalculated, <coughs> we evaluated mm -hmm. and we found these uh, square meters uh, 0 0.24, 0 0.20 and uh, when, uh, when, you, when, when you're running in a group uh, it can be even lower. Mm -hmm. uh, like the Kipchoge example at uh, 0.16. Wow, that's, that, that blows me away. But that's that's uh, that's really interesting. And this is why I love having these conversations because there's always something I can learn, be, you know, over over and above the history of Dutch names. Uh, so <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to the third uh, the third element in the model. And then and then I'm definitely going to circle back and I want to talk about, you know, some more detail in each one and also how to improve them. But let's talk about, um, okay. you know, uh, potential energy. Yeah. Well, climbing uh, resistance is, is fairly easy, of course, mm -hmm. uh, scientifically. It's just the potential energy that you gain. If you go up a hill, uh, you can calculate that fairly easily. But the particular factor that is involved here is the muscle efficiency. So mm -hmm. the muscle efficiency is typically in cyclic uh, activities, like cycling, is 25%. But if you have only positive, uh, positive labor, positive, um, work. What's, what's the word? Work, positive work, mm -hmm. like running uphill, it is significantly higher. So this means that the power required, the uh, metabolic power required to run uphill is lower than you would expect from the uh, potential, potential energy. And oh, this is yeah. involved in a, uh, well, a, f a factor that we have included. And again, this factor is also based on scientific literature. Mm -hmm. Some guys have measured experimentally the, uh, again, by using the oxygen consumption, etc. So they measured how much energy was required to run up different slopes. Mm -hmm. And you see that it is always less then in theoretical, and this is explained by the higher muscle efficiency if you're running uphill. Downhill, the reverse is the case. 
the, end, the muscle efficiency is lower than 25% because you actually have to break if you're running downhill. Yeah, you're so doing you unproductive are... work with your muscles at that right, point. Right. Yeah. Right. Fascinating. It's a form of cycling. Yeah. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, cycling because there is no, yeah, there is no breaking involved. Well, not not with your legs anyway. <laughs> you have to sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you do, yes. Otherwise, bad things happen if you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so let's uh, let's circle back to uh, to running economy, which I think is probably the maybe the hardest one to understand for or for people to maybe wrap their heads around. So um, let's talk about what goes into what makes efficient runners. What what makes higher running economy versus lower running economy in your experience? Yeah, well, uh, first let's let's go back to the fact what is actually running economy, and then we may go back to uh, the days when it was all measured by oxygen consumption in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, the experienced people in the lab, they know already that, well, I have an efficient runner here. He uses only 190 milliliters oxygen per kilogram per kilometer. And I have an inefficient runner here. He uses 230 milliliters oxygen per kilogram per kilometer. These data were always known. And uh, they are all over the literature. And in, in particular, the Kenyans and the Ethiopians are known for their very high efficiency and low oxygen uh, consumption to use the same speed, uh, to reach the same speed. Now, this, uh, of course, this oxygen uh, consumption translates into energy, energy use. And this is what we call the running economy. Actually, we use the term energy cost of running, E-Core. Mm-hmm. This is more a matter of uh, the SI system of units. <laughs> so the energy cost of running is defined in our book in the number of kilojoules per kilogram per kilometer. Got it. So this is, yeah, this is standardized uh, scientific uh, uh, units. It doesn't matter how you define it, but... Uh, the trick is to get it as low as possible. Of course. So, for example, my ECOR is around 0.94 and 0.95, and RUN's ECOR is about 1. So it is 5% higher. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it may have something to do with his running style, with the fact that he is bigger. Uh, we have all, we've done numerous experiments, also by using stride pods, because mm. now stride pods give us the opportunity to measure this running economy without the hassle of you having to use oxygen demand and oxygen consumption. Okay. You just use the stride on your, uh, on your running shoe and you, you get instantaneous data of the energy consumption. And from that, you can calculate uh, the ECOR or the running economy. Hmm. So we have seen, for example, uh, we work with the University of Nijmegen and we have done experiments where we had one group of untrained students running on a treadmill. Okay. And uh, we had a group of experienced runners, friends of ours, also run on this treadmill. And there was a huge difference in running economy. Okay, more how much are we talking? Difference. Uh, more than 10%. Uh, uh, easily 20% in some cases. Uh, so some people run very inefficiently and other people run more efficiently. Now, the golden bullet, of course, is what is the fact that determines this? 
And this is really very difficult. Eh? There are a number of clues, but I think the main thing is training, running as many years as mm. possible. So you have to be very experienced. Then automatically your running economy improves. And there are some people who believe that certain running drills will boost your running economy. Uh, but I doubt this. I doubt whether it is possible to blame it on one factor. Uh, it is a multifactorial thing, this running economy. And you can measure it now. So be grateful for that. <laughs> and you can try to optimize it for yourself. So you can, for example, one okay, clear thing. So tell thing, me about that. Yeah, definitely yeah. want to know how you would optimize it for yourself. Well, I run the same uh, routine every day. Uh, I have a track of 12 kilometers and I run it every day. And one day I run it with a high cadence. And the next day I say, I run now with a low cadence mm -hmm. and I see what is the impact. And then I find that, that a higher cadence is positive. It, I have a lower running economy, a better running economy. If I run with a higher cadence. Okay, interesting. I've also tried running at different speeds. And then I find for me, a higher speed give, improves my running economy. If I run slowly, I have a poorer running economy. I've also tried how, what is the impact of moving my arms? If I don't move my arms, my running economy is bad. Mm -hmm. If I move them along smoothly, the running, improve is, uh, running economy is better. Hmm. So all these things you can now uh, try to optimize for yourself because I don't think it is possible to say for all people, this is the best. Uh, you know, you, you have seen, of course, previously um, famous runners like uh, Paula Radcliffe mm -hmm. with her head like this. <laughs> that, that's surely not optimal, but for yeah. her, it was optimal. It, it works. Yeah, we have, there's a, there's a, well, a super popular Canadian triathlete named Lionel Sanders right now. Yeah. Who, every time he takes a step, it looks like his legs are going to, you know, explode. Yeah. But he's, he's, in, he's one of the top runners in the, in the sport right yeah. now. So yeah. you can't argue with results. Yeah. But the main thing now is you can measure it and try to improve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. Um, I had a, I have a whole number of follow up questions about this. Uh, one of the things that you you've mentioned, and I should I just want to emphasize this that that um, your measurement of uh, of uh, you know the 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 energy cost of running is yeah. normalized by weight, right? So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about how uh, a runner's weight affects their not their not their normalized value perhaps, but the total value of energy required to run a certain yeah. distance. Okay, this is a very nice one. This is actually the first one that I did when I retired in 2011. Okay. I studied the literature, I developed the model, and I found out that weight is a very bad thing, obviously. And uh, I also, uh, at that time, I uh, found in the attic of my home, mm -hmm. I found my first running journal from 1980. And there were a number of things in there, the amount of kilometers that I run, my heart rate, and I noted some uh, a number of things. But one of the things that I noted was my body weight. Okay. And it was in 1980, it was for 58 kilograms. Okay. In 2011, when I retired, my body weight was 68 kilograms, so 10 kilograms more. Mm -hmm. I said to myself, that's not good. <laughs> so I put myself on a diet 
And in about uh, nine months, I got back to the 58 kilograms. So I lost 15% of weight. Mm. And my results in running races improved by the same 15%, which is exactly according to the model. So your running speed is inversely proportional to your body weight. So the first thing you need to do if you want to run faster is lose weight. Well, other than run more also, right? (laughs) And if you run more, yeah, Yeah. then you automatically lose body weight and your running economy improves. So you can easily say when you lose 5% of weight, you will be 5% faster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that uh, you know, kind of in in uh, anecdotal stories and in sort of the pop literature of running that it, that, that it's one that it's one to one relationship. Both my results and Ron, Ron's results prove that it is the that is the case. Hmm. Okay. And of course, Excellent. we believe these things because it is based on science. Eh? Our models are based hmm. on science, and we say, well, uh, if you lose. 10 kilograms of fat, mm-hmm. the power of your body remains the same, but the amount of energy energy that you need to spend in order to move that body uh, decreases by 10%. So you can run 10% faster. It's simple math. And this we're talking about running on a flat surface. Now, if we yeah. introduce rolling elevation or, or, or hills, then, uh, then that effect is magnified. Can you speak to how much that effect is magnified? Well, obviously, uh, running uphill, it, it is even uh, more important to lose weight eh? because every kilogram that you have to uh, push uphill costs more energy. That's why all uh, Tour de France uh, cyclists are 60 kilograms. Uh, The climbers are 60 kilograms or less. So Pozzo Vivo in the Giro right now is only 53 kilograms. eh? And he's a good climber. Uh, So that's very uh, simple. (laughs) Uh, For the air resistance, it's a little bit the other way because uh, the air resistance for a taller guy is a little bit more than for a smaller guy, Mm -hmm. but uh, the power, the absolute power of a taller guy is higher than that of a smaller guy. So Ron weighs 80 kilograms, his total power at the same uh, performance level should Mm -hmm. be 20% more than my uh, power at at 60 kilograms. And because the air resistance uh, is roughly the same, it means that Ron has little uh, difficulties, uh, has less difficulties with air resistance than I have. If it is running, if it is, if the wind is blowing hard, I struggle more than Ron struggles. It's very similar to cycling, right? Because if you look yeah. at cycling time yeah. trialists, yeah. they're us- they, they're usually bigger, stronger, stronger athletes. Yeah, right. it makes the same. Right. Analogy, yeah, right. time trial uh, on the flat, uh, the, yeah. the big cyclists uh, win. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And the same thing with like my, you know, my my sports triathlon. But yeah, it's the same idea. You you yeah. don't you don't get you don't pay for the extra weight on the bike so much, but you definitely pay for it on the run. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So let's, uh, since we were talking about aerodynamics, let's spend a little bit of time talking about optimizing aerodynamics. And again, this is something that we've uh, we've talked about quite a bit about um, doing it on the bike. Uh, yeah. But you can't. There's not much you can do about position uh, when you're running. So what what are some of your ideas on 
In the first place, in running, it's far less important than in cycling because of the lower speed uh, and it's the triple uh, power of the speed. uh, So uh, in running, it is for for us type of runners, it is maybe 5%. And for world-class runners, it's 10%, the Mm -hmm. air resistance. So it is not so much as in uh, cycling. Versus 70 to 80% in cycling. Right. Yeah. And the only thing you can do about it in practical sense is running in a group or using pacers. Uh, And in the case of Eliud Kipchoge, the sub two hour marathon, they had uh, a number of things. eh? They drove past uh, uh, behind a car with a a windscreen Mm -hmm. and they had all these pacers optimized. They were also optimized by means of uh, computational flow dynamics, by the way, yeah, these, these, uh, this, this, uh, the positions of the, of the pacers. So in this way, you can slightly optimize it, but in practical sense for normal runners, the only thing you can do is run, run behind someone or run preferably in a group. Right. And what about clothing? So this is uh, something in cycling we pay a lot of attention to. Does yeah. does flappy clothing, tight fitting clothing in your yeah. in your experience does it make a difference? Yeah. Well, it, a little bit. Uh, you have seen in running sometimes uh, some clothing uh, for sprinters uh, that they sure. are using tight tightly knit uh, clothing to try to minimize uh, the drag coefficient a little bit. But it is so far not very practical. And in particular, we focus mainly on endurance running, 10K or a marathon. And then your clothing needs to be uh, light. And uh, uh, you don't want to. um, The main thing is that you don't get too hot in running. Mm -hmm. So if you use restricted clothing, it will not be very comfortable for running. That makes perfect sense. So you always see it with the sprinters, so the 100 meters, uh, 200 meters, then they uh, wear these uh, uh, yeah, uh, aerodynamic uh, suits. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of the modeling that you've done uh, around, if you know some of these variables about a runner that you have, um, you've, you've developed, I guess, these uh, pace prediction or, or race time prediction calculators. Can you spend a bit of time talking about those? Well, uh, using our model, this is actually fairly simple. Uh, if you know the conditions of the race, both uh, the track uh, uh, and the environmental conditions, uh, and you know, of course, uh, the critical power or the functional threshold power of the athlete mm-hmm. is fairly easy to calculate uh, the performance. And there, the same rules apply also as in cycling. And that is that uh, the, amu- the amount of power that any athlete can produce uh, depends very much on the time of the exercise. Of course. And for a longer exercise, the, the amount of power that you can sustain reduces. But this can be modeled very accurately too. So you know, well, it is a run of a certain amount of kilometers. It mm-hmm. will take a certain amount of time. And then it means that this runner can use a certain amount of power and he can uh, produce this speed. Uh, so this is all uh, rather simple, actually. If uh, we use spreadsheet mo- models to, to do it, uh, 
it is uh, uh, the spreadsheet model uses something like 15 uh, parameters. Mm -hmm. And if you know uh, about these 15 parameters, including the environmental conditions and the race conditions and the cap capabilities of uh, the athlete, you can predict very uh, carefully and accurately uh, the race time. This and is how would, you, how would you account yeah. for do you, uh, do you account for for fueling for you know let's say carbohydrate ingestion? Yeah, in longer well, race models. That only applies to uh, the marathon or ultra runs, of course. Eh? For small, uh, shorter distances, it's not uh, relevant. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have done calculations. Well, for marathons, we include it. For ultra marathons, we have also uh, uh, done these calculations there. Uh, and, and a new factor, a new factor uh, comes into place which is the amount of carbohydrates that the stomach of the athlete can digest. Sure. Uh, there are different literature values between 30, 60 grams per hour. Uh, and uh, the, uh, we, we have done uh, calculations on the world records of 100 miles or uh, those uh, extreme runs uh, also. So you can see quite a different uh, difference with cycling because uh, cycling uh, takes uh, much more time. So you, so you can also digest more uh, uh, glycogen uh, to uh, to give you energy. Sure. Another important thing is uh, temperature. Okay. I uh, did the marathon of Berlin in Germany, and uh, yeah, uh, a few days ago it was expected to be 13 degrees Celsius, mm -hmm. and the temperature went up. So we can recalculate uh, what the, what your time will be under the higher temperature uh, conditions. That's okay, quite different uh, from cycling. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, temperature has also impact on cycling, but because you have this uh, yeah, cycling event uh, which cools you, yes. it's quite different with, uh, with running because your speed is lower. Of course. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I was going to ask you about the, the thermal effect as well. Uh, so that your the model would take those into account, both from a, you know, obviously from an aerodynamic perspective, but that is a very small effect, I understand from what you're saying. Uh, and uh, but it would be more from the, you know, the the heating of the of the individual and the, yeah. the, the loss of performance due to due to, uh, yeah. you know, higher core body temperature. Yeah, yeah, and you see that the smaller runners uh, can, uh, uh, can do better with higher temperatures. Mm -hmm. Because when you're bigger, uh, you, your volume is also bigger. For sure, yeah. Volume to surface area of ratio, yeah, yeah it changes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And bigger muscles generate more energy. Yeah, I mean, that that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your work with Stride, or maybe even just more about the practical application of the of the Stride power meter. So I have one, and I'll be I'll admit. Well, I've admitted this on the show before. I have it on my shoe every single time I run, and I don't use it. And I I feel like I'm 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 missing out. So specifically, what I would love to know is how can I use my Stride to uh, to, for example, calculate my you know my personal energy cost of running. Well, there are two things that you can do. The first approach that you can take is our approach, and that is that you will that you want to understand it. And then you look at the data carefully and you study them. That is what we do. So mm. we every day from our run, we make an Excel spreadsheet and we calculate what is the e-core that, that I spent today and what is the power that I produced today and mm -hmm. what was the temperature and all these factors we check and forth and 
we, we uh, study uh, in order to understand it and to optimize it. Uh, okay. And by using our model, we can then predict what we can do on race day. And on race day, again, we check what have we done? What is our in performance? Did we reach the power that we expected? Did we reach the cadence that we expected? Did we re uh, reach the step uh, lengths uh, that we expected, etc.? Mm -hmm. So that is our approach. The other approach is, to, is actually um, what uh, Stride uh, advocates and what is really attractive for the large majority of the runners, mm -hmm. and that is leave it all to Stride. <laughs> so all your data go into your personal account in Stride. Yep. And Stride calculates your, cal your critical power from that, and he calculates the uh, race prediction for uh, certain uh, races de depending on your training history and your running history. So uh, Stride says that the coach is on your shoe. All the data they, that they gather goes into their uh, ecosystem and they use it also uh, in large by using our models to mm -hmm. calculate exactly uh, what uh, kind of athlete you are and what your uh, possibilities are. Okay, so it's just collecting data and evaluating it and, and then giving you, giving you predictions and, and training recommendations. Yeah, and uh, Stride has an option there. Eh? When you know the track uh, of the race you are going to run, you can, mm -hmm. uh, the GPX uh, file you can bring in it. Okay, yeah. So uh, yeah, the level differences and all those sort of things, uh, Stride, uh, the model of Stride calculates that. They also add the temperature and the, the uh, 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 yeah, humidity, humidity in it, eh? elevation, elevation uh, uh, that's sort of air things. pressure, all the things that are necessary to calculate uh, the performance. And then they give an indication with what, what power you can run uh, that race. And when you do that exactly, you're in the, the fastest time you can. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, I, also quite comparable to cycling, of course. Eh? They, they also know, based on their training and performance tests, what the type of power they can maintain for a certain period. Uh, and that is their goal for uh, uh, climbing uh, the next hill. Yeah, <laughs> but when you look at the Tour de France, the time trial, uh, the cyclists only uh, have a look at their power meter. Mm -hmm. And they know exactly from the physician uh, in front, he has made the calculation. In this uh, location, I have to go with 300 watts. Mm -hmm. And there I have to arrive at uh, 280, there will be a band. I break a bit or not, and then, then you know exactly what they what, what they can, and then at the finish, all all the energy is uh, used, eh? and not not earlier, and because when, when you, your energy is spoiled earlier, you you will go slower, and when you uh, have uh, energy left at the finish, yeah, it's a shame because you could have uh, cycled faster. faster, and the same right. is with, with running. Mm -hmm. So, um, one question, uh, one follow-up question on that is: How well do you think the well? How how well do you think the Stride model or your model um, predicts uh, predicts events that are longer than are in the database? So let's let me give you an example. Let's say you're training for a marathon, and the longest training run that that you have in your Stride database is 35 kilometers, for argument's sakes, um, or maybe even shorter, like 32 kilometers. How how well do you think the model copes with 
the lack of that or or the 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 potential for you know muscular fatigue for example to uh, to affect what happens after the longest period of time that the model has access to if you understand what i'm asking yeah uh, you are right that this is uh, a possible uh, source of uh, differences for example i myself I'm a notorious bad marathon runner. I'm very good up until the half marathon, and my marathon results are always worse than what I expected. Uh, so I run the half marathon, for example, in uh, less than one hour and 10 minutes. Hmm. So, so I should easily have run the uh, full marathon below two and a half hours, but mm-hmm. I never managed it. It's, uh, I, I got stuck at two hours and 34 minutes. Uh, so I'm one example of somebody with a lower than uh, normal fatigue resistance. Yes, uh, yes. And there are peop- other people like uh, Dutchman uh, Jo Schoonbrood. He recently uh, improved the world r- record for the marathon for 70 uh, plus of age. He's 72, age, uh, 72 years. And he ran the marathon in two hours and 54 minutes. Uh, wow. So this is an improvement of the world record of Ed Whitlock, the famous Ed Whitlock. Yes. So he is really tremendous only at the marathon. His speed at lower distances is quite limited. Mm. And he is really, uh, he has an excellent fatigue resistance. Uh, so there are always exceptions. I am one on the other side and Joost Homebrood <laughs> is another one on the, on, the, on the better side. But for most people, the differences are not so, so big. Eh? And you can fairly uh, good predict the results on a marathon, also from the results of a half marathon. And um, this, this is what Stride is doing, of course. Uh, they, they take all the data that they have and they use the model and then predict it. And it might be that you are a little bit better or a little bit worse. But for most people, uh, it is fairly accurate. Yes, but they also do a little bit on the fatigue resistance. Well, what they do is uh, yeah, they, they have an, uh, a power-time uh, relation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah, when, when you're in the half an hour, uh, you can do it uh, the fastest on a certain power. And the same on one hour, or one and a half hour, and two hours. And when the, when the relation is not the same, you can do something on the fatigue resistance. They, mm. So they t- it takes something in account of it. I see. I see. So if you have enough data points along that power duration curve, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the longer you run with the stride, especially races, and when yeah. you come as fast as you can, and the data will be better. Sure. It's just like any any kind of you know algorithm. The more good data you feed it, the better numbers it spits out. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, gentlemen, this has been a, a really interesting conversation. I've learned I've learned a ton. Um, I understand that you have, and you've mentioned it in the in the conversation we've had some uh, some books that are available both in uh, uh, both in Dutch and in English. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about that and where those are available? Yeah, our, our basic book on running is The Secret of Running, okay. uh, which is has been available for a number of years uh, now. And recently we uh, produced the book uh, The Power to Run, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a... Um, it's more, more popular. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it, it's less scientific, you might say. Our basic book, The Secret of Running, contains a lot of math and science and for a number of readers this is too much 
So uh, together with another author, we try to simplify it to make it uh, understandable for a larger audience. And this is the power to run, which is uh, now recently being published. That uh, gives some uh, theory, but uh, not as much as in the secret of, uh, of running. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are yeah, 37 uh, cases in it uh, d- described. Oh, excellent. Uh, were examples about <clears throat> running in a group and uh, on hills and, uh, and practical experiences. Mm-hmm. And is it based on uh, on power specifically? Like, would would somebody need to have a, a stride or similar power meter to to make the most out of these books, or can you just be using you know good old fashioned pace? No, this this is really about power. power. So you you need either a stride or a polar or a Garmin. Uh, so you need some kind of power uh, tool uh, mm-hmm. in order to make practical use of it. I think. Uh, if you don't want to use power, then don't buy this book. Uh, that's a waste of money. <laughs> Simple enough answer. Same as recycling. When you say you have a power meter of recycling, you were interested in it and yep. you will uh, make use of it. Absolutely. And learning it is the same. Absolutely. So, gentlemen, again, thank you very much for uh, for your time. So, other than these two books, can uh, can our listeners follow along with you? Is are, are there websites or are you on social media that? Uh, yeah. I'll just post these links on uh, in the in the show notes for the episode okay. so that folks can have access to them. Yeah. Okay. okay. Actually, everything is on our website. Uh, mm-hmm. All the books on cycling, running. Uh, uh, even cases on on different sports uh, like speed skating you can use the model there too and uh, so we have uh, uh, something like 500 papers and uh, so the website uh, it contains a wealth of information it's both in english and in dutch com. perfect and I'll, yeah i'll uh, i'll put that in the show notes as i mentioned uh gentlemen thank you one more time okay. all right thank okay. you and listeners, thank you always as well uh, for, for tuning in and spending about an hour with us. Uh, if you like the show, give us a, a rating and a review on iTunes. And uh, if you're a big fan, consider supporting us on Patreon. And that's at patreon.com slash endurance innovation. Thanks, everyone.